Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review and host of this podcast. And for those of you who have never heard of Future in Review before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. Uh, and the other arm of our business, which we'll be talking a little bit about today, is Strategic News Service, which provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. So if you enjoy these podcast video podcast updates, you can sign up for a free trial of the Strategic News Service Global Report at stratnews.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-N-E-W-S dot com. And we're going to be doing things a little bit differently today. I'm here with Evan Anderson, who um, you may have guessed we are related. He is my brother, uh, but he's also the CEO of Invent IP, which is an initiative we run that fights nation-sponsored intellectual property theft, an analyst with, with the Strategic News Service Global Report, and wears many hats at Future Interview as a company. He can do pretty much anything, anything you want. Um, uh, but he is going to be interviewing me for a change about my global report from this week. So, hello, Evan. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I think we should just jump right in. Um, this week you wrote about what you called the world's most powerful technology company. And I think when people think about that, uh, you know, various names might pop into their head but it probably isn't the company that you were talking about. Do you right. want to explain why and who it is? Yeah, I mean, I think when people, oftentimes when people consider what makes a company powerful, and especially this is true of public, many publications, like traditional lists of the top 10 companies or the top 10 tech companies usually are topped with companies like Apple, Amazon, uh, Alphabet, Meta, um, Tesla is up there. Yeah, and all of those things are usually based on kind of a range of factors. Um, one of them is market capitalization. Another, you know, often is revenue or profits um, or, you know, uh, kind of assets, total assets in, in the bank. Um, but the thing that, uh, as I was writing this week's report, the thing that I realized is that there's another company out there that actually has a significantly more leverage over the global economy, over other companies, and over the market in general. And that company is uh, BlackRock, which is traditionally considered an asset management firm. Um, but my, my personal belief is that that would be a miscategorization of, of BlackRock's real potential and and kind of who they really are as a company. So maybe you can talk a little bit about why, right? So um, what makes them more of a tech firm these days than you would traditionally think as, you know, an asset manager or financial firm? Well, so first of all, it's important to, to know, to keep in mind that um, BlackRock has the largest volume of assets under management of any firm in the world. So the they have the most amount of money that they are investing at any given time on behalf of others. Um, and as they have built that up over time, the key to their success has been this proprietary AI-based system called Aladdin. And Aladdin is something that they built early on um, in the company's growth to help them uh, provide them, themselves with predictive analytics about 
the implications of specific trades or investments and to understand how changing market conditions might affect specific investments. Um, over the years, they have invested in Aladdin and, and really expanded that business to the point that it is now its own business unit. It's being used by a, about 200 plus um, other investment banks, um, investors, insurance companies uh, around the world, governments. Um, and for that reason, not only do they have this huge pot of money, $8.49 trillion of wow. under their own management, they also have a significant amount of, of outsized capital that dwarfs that number, actually, I believe. They haven't made it public, but from everything that I've been trying to figure out about, you know, who their clients are and what the potential total capacity of, of, of capital that's being influenced by the Aladdin platform is, it's got to be upwards of, of like $30 trillion. Which that would be a significant proportion, I think, of, of global wealth that's being invested, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you're saying it's not entirely, I mean, it makes sense, right? So it's an AI platform, they designed it for themselves, um, and it's supposed to help them predict markets and predict consequences of various contingencies and markets, which I think these days people probably, you know, if they're tracking what's going on in the world in terms of AI development and tech, they're probably assuming that a lot of Wall Street firms might have something like this, right? That's yeah. a tool that and helps that's, and, and And BlackRock, as far as I can tell, is uh, really kind of the cutting edge of that. So it's like the best in class. Okay. Um, and, and you're saying that you've been doing some digging and some research on some of the companies that may, or, or entities, like it sounded like sovereign wealth funds maybe or something that may be using this. Um, can you name some of them? Yeah, so um, a few that they've been that they've been public with, uh, Microsoft Treasury, uh, which manages, I think I should, I don't want to misstate this, this number, so I should uh, look it up, but um, I believe, yeah, here we go. So they, they manage $120 billion. So that's one client. Um, NN Investment Partners, which is based in the Netherlands, uh, they manage 300 billion uh, in euros, 300 billion euros. And then Citigroup actually uses it for their, um, for a specific part of their business, which is their custody and fund services. And their custody and fund services business it alone oversees more than $21.5 trillion in assets. So that's just three customers. We know that they have about 200, um, generally speaking. And I'm gonna wager a bet that if three customers together is a potential total of, you know, probably not all of that of that money is being influenced or or assessed or invested using Aladdin as a platform. But I think it's pretty safe to assume that the volume, total volume of assets under management from their third-party clients is significantly higher, <laughs> probably even than that $30 trillion number. Yeah. So they have, you know, hundreds of these clients, right? I mean, and it makes sense with a hundred billion here, hundred billion there, but when you get up into the trillion, some of the biggest financial groups in the world are using this. Uh, that's pretty impressive. So um, I think probably the next question in anyone's mind would be, okay, so this is huge. It's quiet, right? It's not, it's not often talked about, but it's huge and it has a massive influence in the, in the financial world. 
what do you think the implications are, right? What are the, what are the ripple effects of this? Like, is this driving the movement of global liquidity in a significant way? Well, so it's the, the, it's very difficult to say for sure how much it is driving the world of global liquidity in a significant way, because the markets are very opaque in that sense. Um, however, one can definitely say that um, BlackRock itself has invested heavily in the capabilities of Aladdin. They have acquired and created strategic partnerships with several, I, about 10 different companies that I've seen in the last three or four years, starting in 2019, that have allowed them to provide access for investors into, um, like basically merge visibility into public and private in investments, right? So throughout the stage of a company's growth, you can kind of measure and, and kind of assess your, your investments over that time. Um, they've made, um, uh, investments in their ability to provide back-end systems for investment firms. So essentially, you know, you can manage your entire investment office using this platform. Um, but the, and they've also, you know, they, they integrated, they just made, created a new partnership in August with Coinbase, which uh, allowed them to accept allowed users to to um to invest using only bitcoin so that's the only one they have so far um but even that partnership <laughs> caused a significant spike of course in bitcoins uh <clears throat> in bitcoin stock value so um it's safe to say that uh they're probably having a significant impact on on company stock prices and stock prices across the board yeah, or just like you're saying, like the price of a cryptocurrency, right? I mean, that's a big difference for that kind of market when it's, I mean, it's not young, young, but it's still a new concept. And so if somebody big comes in, then that can cause very large price fluctuations. Yeah. Volatile asset. Um, the other, so the other aspect of, of what, like, why does this matter? Yeah. Um, is Aladdin has reached the point where it has acquired what are called network effects. I think most people, many people who, who watch the, this podcast are probably mm -hmm. familiar with this, but um, essentially they are big enough and they have enough partners and enough capital on the platform that they're like at this stage where they're about to become or have become Google, but for money, right? So yeah. if you think about other platforms, um, the idea, the whole idea behind network effects is that the bigger a, a, a platform or a network grows, the harder it is to disrupt it and the more successful it's liable to become and the more it accelerates the growth of their members, users, in this case, clients. Um, for Aladdin, a big part of what's really important about this is every time they get a new client, that's an increase in their data and visibility into other companies, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I'm not saying that they're surveilling their clients' data. I'm sure they're not. <laughs> it would be a very poor business decision, although poor business decision, decisions have been known to be made uh, in American large American companies. Um, but I do <laughs> but they are, you know, so they are they have a new partnership with um, with a data portability company, Snowflake, which allows them to any of their users to integrate their own proprietary data sets into, right. um, into Aladdin's historic risk management analysis tools. 
Um, they've also launched a new climate center uh, that is acquiring and partnering with companies left and right to create a predictive risk analysis so that investment managers, insurers can tell how specific companies, specific geographies um, may be affected in the future by climate change, right? You could compare an oil, one oil and gas company with another to say which of these companies is more resilient to the future effects of climate change. Um, so all of these things and that that like future looking aspect is really unique in the industry. So right, right now there are capabilities you can see, okay, who is most currently most at risk, but there's really no other platform that I know of where you where you can see into the future, which is a part of why I think it's interesting to us at Future Interview. Yeah, and I mean, the, the implications of that are huge, right? If you're managing trillions in wealth and people actually pay attention to what your your solution system is is presenting to them and you know they're all asking questions like should i be invested in florida real estate for instance right um big moves could happen right based on what the answer to that question is for all these different clients the the other side of this is that if you are an investment manager of any kind if you are you know running a hedge fund or uh running a mutual fund or an insurance company and you need you the level and the volume of data combined with the influence of the total assets under management and total assets under management of their of their clients that BlackRock has acquired is such that if you don't have a become a client of BlackRock, you are going to be um, at a significant disadvantage. Yeah, like you can't afford that, right? Yeah. So. So it's really interesting because they have, because through this series of very strategic and, and really smart partnerships and acquisitions over the last couple of years, gotten themselves to the point where now, if I was in that space, which I'm not, but if I was, like, first thing I would spend my money on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit like they're designing the next Bloomberg terminal, but this time it's for predictive analytics about market yeah. moves, right? And when you when you know they ha also have that much capital under management, you can also assume that like a certain amount of that capital will be re reacting to those risk predictions or those scenarios. And therefore, I mean, you could choose to bet against that. You could choose, you know, you can kind of start to like, once you start to see some of the potential for how this monolith, this very large, <laughs> uh influencer in the media space or in the money space is behaving then there are all kinds of intellectual games that i feel like <laughs> investors are probably already playing yeah i think the short the short aladdin portfolio might be a scary scary boat <laughs> to ride <laughs> um all right well thank you very much i think that's that sounds like a lot to think about right um as we move kind of this comes up a lot i think in different fields but as we move into an increasingly you know, machine learning driven era uh, where this is kind of common in a lot of different fields. Uh, it just keeps coming up on the radar over and over again. And it is not surprising at all that, you know, the folks on Wall Street would be kind of coming up with some of the top solutions for how to do predictive stuff using yeah. existing very large data sets, right? That they would have the data, that they would have the money to spend on developing the tech. Um, so uh, fascinating stuff, I think, you know, I will add one thing, which is this, I feel like this conversation has made BlackRock sound really terrifying. Um, and 
Previously, I have written about their the fact that they really are a leader in advocating for sustainable and sustainability and ESG considerations in investment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for our audience to recognize that, right? Part of the reason that I became so interested in this company is because they really are kind of leading the charge on doing the right thing through investing. Um, so are you saying that because they often get mistaken for Blackstone? <laughs> no, I've also written about Blackstone, as you know, which has bought up a huge volume of, of in rental properties in the U.S. Uh, and single-handedly shifted the market, the rental, the real estate market. But um, they are not the same company. It's important to note two different companies. Blackstone and BlackRock are very different. And I think, it, you know, in, in any kind of like tech media industry business, a lot, so much of the media is around tearing these companies down. Mm-hmm. And I would like, I think it's important for people to know that from what I've seen so far, I would consider BlackRock to be actually a pretty, you know, upstanding citizen corporate citizen yeah corporate, well, it, it, it sounds like responsibility it sounds like part of the point that you're trying to make too is that um technology being agnostic which you know perhaps people will disagree with this but that's that's my stance you design technology to do certain things and it's the things that you're trying to do that you know may have a moral or ethical place in the in the spectrum but you know the technology itself is not necessarily good or bad in any random circumstance when it's under development the point is what are you going to do with it right yeah the problem is always the errors the errors in judgment that result from not foreseeing the consequences right and so that probably one of the major implications of this is if a lot of global liquidity is already you know focused on using this tool to get answers and then to make choices based on those answers then if the tool is good that's good right and if it's telling you hey you really shouldn't make this investment because this climate change effect is very likely to, to completely nullify, you know, any, any profit that you would make on this investment. And it's actually pushing people towards smarter investments or greener investments. Um, but in a, in a way that is both efficient and accurate, that that could be a really great thing. And if there's, you know, a, a problem with the tool, then, then you'd have an issue. So like this tool could be very good and very good for efficiency and, you know, various different things that we do need in the capital markets. Um, to prevent more ridiculous volatility and more poor decision-making. Um, but it has to be the right tool, right, in that case. Right. And it sounds like you think that maybe this is the right tool, that it's... That well, it is, I, I mean, I don't think... I, I am not of the opinion that any tool is the right tool or any tool... It, like, I think Mark Zuckerberg thought that Facebook was the right tool for building social connection, even though he was kind of a, a dick about the way he started it, which was, <laughs> a, you know, appraisal for whether someone was hot or not in college. I, th- I, I think th- he might've thought it was the right tool for generating profit from ads. Maybe. <laughs> I don't think they started out that way though. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I guess my point is that I do believe BlackRock has been a good corporate citizen. I believe they've been instrumental in driving more investment in sustainable solutions and no technology developer that I have seen so far has been able to avoid making mistakes that can have very large and deleterious effects on society. So mm-hmm. I would just say good intent, judgment, great start, <laughs> yeah. lots of opportunity for widespread economic issues.
down the line that I'm sure they're thinking about and, and talking about internally, but. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, on that happy note, I think, I think we've run out of time. So I'll, uh, I'll draw us to, to a close and just say again, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoy thinking about these kinds of things or hearing about them, um, please do join us. You can sign up for a free trial on stratnews.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-N-E-W-S.com. And thank you very, very much for your time today. And I look forward to doing more soon. Thanks, Ed.